0: Comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. You're listening to the Whedonverse Podcast. A retrospective, spoiler-free podcast where we discuss the movies, series, comics, and games created or inspired by Joss Whedon. With your hosts, Mr. Universe... Numb
1: Do the dance of joy!
0: And the Clairvoyant...
1: Well, you're right about this being a bad idea.
0: Also brought to you by the Tangent Bound Network. This episode, we'll discuss Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 1, Episode 11, Out of Mind, Out of Sight, with special guest Frank A. Rincon from Half Hour Wasted... And episode 12, Prophecy Girl. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 1, Episode 11. Out of Mind, Out of Sight. Written by Ashley Gable and Thomas A. Swyden. Directed by Riza Badai. Original air date, May 19th, 1997. Welcome back to another episode of Weedenverse Podcast. Once again, I'm joined here by the Clairvoyant, our special co-host. Hello, I am special. You know, special in, you know, that kind of way. And as well, we have a, another guest who's more special, but in a good way. Uh, all the way from Half Hour Wasted, we have Frank A. Ringcon. How are you, Frank?
2: Hey, what's up?
1: <laughs> Guys, it's a pleasure to be on. Uh, this is a great idea for a podcast, too. Uh, Josh Whedon has added so much to, to geek them, and, um, you know, Buffy is is, uh, is a lot of fun, too. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I, I, uh, uh, not to get ahead of ourselves, but, uh, you know, I, I came to, um, I came to Buffy late. Uh, it was already off the air when someone gave me all the DVDs to watch. And uh, I have to say, I I struggled a little bit at the beginning. I guess most series you do do that, but man, once it took off, I was on board. Definitely. I agree.
0: Uh, yeah, that's been a, since we're doing season one now, that's been a big focus is how this season struggled, how it's kind of, we've seen glimmers of what's to come in later seasons. But definitely, I can I can agree with that, yeah, I didn't get into the first I mean rewatching it now, the first season definitely I mean my opinion of it is higher than it was the first time I watched it, but yeah there, there's still some struggles here and there. there's some episodes that we can't stand, <laughs> uh, even though apparently our fans on Twitter didn't mind the pack as much as we did. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, it's, um, you know, there's certain shows that you see and you go, there is something there and I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm gonna stick around and, and you know, it deliver in the end, it, it, delivers.
0: Definitely. Yeah. This episode we're doing this week or this episode out of mind, to out of sight, which, uh, the title is a play on words, out of sight, out of mind, but I didn't actually think about that. I, and... I, I figured it was just the phrase. I didn't look too much into it. Yeah, it's reversed. And this episode, in some countries like Europe and other regions, is called Invisible Girl, which uh, tells you a lot more obviously what the episode's about. <laughs>
1: they're not even trying.
0: they're just. <laughs> yeah,
1: <that's> just... <laughs> hey, let's boil it for everybody. Yeah. Invisible yeah. Girl.
0: It's like calling the first episode Vampire. Second, <laughs> second episode Vampire hey, Part 2. Third episode was Witch. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> But uh, this is the same writing crew in this episode. They wrote the episode, I, Robot, Jane," so... I'm so excited. But this is the last episode for either of them to write for the whole show. So maybe there's a reason for that. I added one of them on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't accept. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this episode, we start off with the opening monologue, which, Clairvoyant, you always like to point out, so I figured I'd beat you to it this time. There's an opening monologue this episode. Yeah, which so far leaves... Two episodes that didn't have it, Right. just randomly. Played. Except I, I can't remember. Did Angel have it? I know Angel had the previously on, but I don't remember if it had the in you know, every generation part. I uh, don't. You're the only one that pays attention to that. That's true.
2: That <laughs> is true.
0: Uh, after the opening monologue, we start off with Cordy and her never seen her mentioned before boyfriend Mitch, and Harmony, who are chatting in the hallway. And he tries to be sweet with some line. They're ta- I don't they're ta- I don't even remember what they're talking about, but he says, blue, like your eyes, and she laughs pretty fakely and says, my eyes are Hazel Helen Keller. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> great line, too. Great. I thought she had
0: a lot of great lines in this episode, actually. Yeah, it's. I feel like this episode is Cordy-centric. More or less, yeah, I can see that. But what's up with Harmony's shirt? In the scene. Like it's got like a I don't mean, like a duck or something on it. Did popular girls dress like that in the nineties? <laughs> like nowadays even unpopular girls don't dress like that. So. <laughs> um the only real thing that stood up I don't think it's happened quite yet, but it will soon, is Harmony says library and librarian. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it bugs me. And we get it together, Mercedes. I, I do have to uh, say it was, you know, this is the first episode I've seen in, in a long, long time, and uh, it was great to see, to hear Cordelia. I kind of forgot how wonderfully annoying she is. <laughs> yeah. She is just, um, I just, you know, I love to dislike her, and and uh, it, it was just, it was fun to revisit that.
0: Yeah, and definitely she has quite the fan base. A lot of our listeners actually are huge Cordettes, and they just love even in this era, they love her so much. So, I yeah I I agree. I remember when I first watched the series, wasn't the biggest fan. But going back, I'm like, no, I love to hate her. I actually in this episode, I appreciate her quite a bit. So they discuss being elected May King and May Queen. That's the end game of the popular kids in this episode. Buffy drops in. There's a pun for you, and she drops all her slaying gear all over the floor. And it's such a fake and a bad tumble. Like it was. <laughs> good job, Sarah. You really know how to trip. I Well, I guess it was, Sarah. They wouldn't need a stunt double for that. I don't think they'd need to pay a stunt double for that. (laughs) They have them on payroll. Might as well get use out of them. (laughs) But taking inventory, because I love to do that. When she drops it, I counted everything she's got that you can see clearly. She's got two crosses, uh, what appears to be either a Bible or a raggedy old textbook. Uh, Flail, like ball and chain with spikes. Two stakes, uh, what appears to be a saber of some sort... (laughs) Uh, And then a pen, pencil, and a notebook, because she's still a student at heart. (laughs) And And that actually helps her excuse when they immediately see her spill all this strange medieval equipment out into the hallway. Yeah. Uh, Buffy says it's from Giles. It's for show and tell in history class, which, this is high school.
1: Yeah, she she has a couple of good stumbles where she's trying to cover (laughs) for herself, and it's... And, you know, it, it's not that anyone, no one doesn't believe her. It's just nobody cares. <laughs>
0: yeah, definitely. And she's she's not a great improvisational liar. <laughs> like She's pretty bad coming up with lies on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and is Cordelia's hair, like, shorter in this episode, or is it just done up fancy? It looked different to me. I did not notice. That's more your thing. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> But Cordelia and Harmony start making fun of Buffy as they walk off. They mention, did I tell you about the time that she beat me up at the bronze? Which is the first episode. And Buffy looks hurt. Hurt I think that's actually the second episode, technically. It's a two-party, though. Oh, yeah. Later in class, they're reading The Merchant of Venice by Shylock, which I've never read. But Cordy pipes up and calls him self-involved and whiny, which is stereotypical Cordy uh, blasting this famous author who's probably been dead for forever <laughs> in the background though we're my i i wasn't paying attention to Cordelia because willows willows wearing a scooby-doo shirt
1: yeah i loved yeah that, that it, was uh that made me really happy probably copyright
0: infringement but it was so cute <laughs> <laughs> especially <laughs> well, since as i've previously spoiled they will become to be known as the scooby game <laughs> by fans mostly but yeah uh,
1: I, and I, I also read online that, you know, at at some point, Sarah Michelle Gellar does play Daphne in the Scooby movie. So there's kind dope. of that, too. Yeah,
0: James Gunn's live-action... Well, they're interesting. Was it James? Oh, wow. Yeah, it was James Gunn. Guardians of the Galaxy's James Gunn. <laughs> really? Huh. Yeah, he did the live-action Scooby-Doo's. But... Uh, Cordelia defends her answer to the class. Uh saying, which is the most cordially line of maybe the season, people who act like their problems are so huge craze me. Like this one time I sorta ran over this girl on her bike. It was the most traumatizing <laughs> event of my life, and she's trying to make it about her leg like my pain means nothing. <laughs> that
1: thought, that is that is 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 a really good line. I have to give I have to give Cordy some credit though, because she does make a pretty good observation about. Uh, that character, unfortunately, you know, she, uh, it becomes all about herself. It's just, it's <laughs> funny. She has, she has a brilliant moment of insight, but then it becomes about her and she loses it.
0: Yeah. She also, <laughs> she knows, I mean, she knows what she's talking about somewhat because she responds, she calls uh, Willow's argument a Twinkie defense. Yeah. Which is a reference to like the Harvey Milk assassination trials so <laughs> spoiler if you haven't seen milk but <laughs> it's a true story <laughs> but yeah no and I think this episode kind of shows like Cordy especially in this classroom scene she's smart she's not the stereotypical stupid popular girl she's smart she knows her stuff she's just clueless, clueless. yeah she's just <laughs> a bit self-centered but Xander and Will look pretty uncomfortable with her <laughs> with her story about the accident. And after class, she stops to talk to the teacher about uh, needing help with her assignment, and it's not much, but her saying stuff like "I'm just real unfocused lately. I've got some contradicting thoughts." I felt like that was one of the most human things she's actually said in this series so far. <laughs> it felt like a real person. Like, wow, she actually has
1: feelings. <laughs> yeah, that and and that's what I. Uh, that that's another moment. You know, she makes that observation, and then she says that to the teacher, which really humanizes her, but. At the same time, I can't think of a student, a real live student, ever saying actually saying, yeah, <laughs> saying that phrase. I know. I think Josh Whedon was the writer on it. I know it's, it, but it was just, it was a good line. I thought. <laughs>
0: um, I thought that it was it was like human, but the way she delivered it seemed insincere. I don't know if that was intentional on the character on you know charisma's behalf doing it for the character or. That was just the way she happened to read it. But uh, she immediately goes back to her regular self. She tells Harmony that her May Queen dress is ready and that Mitch is going to die. So, of course, scene transition to Mitch. (laughs) (laughs) It's an ominous shower scene with Mitch. And, of course, we know how I feel about shower scenes almost every time somebody gets hurt. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of locker room action in the show so far. (laughs) And why are the guy showers so much worse than the girl showers? Like they're like, (laughs) I feel like that's mirroring real life though. (laughs) I, I, I can't vouch. You know, I can't verify this, but that's just how I picture it actually goes. And the whole locker room is creepy. It looks like it was built out of a warehouse, which it was because that's the set that it was built in. It's just (laughs) creepy. It's dank and just weird. (laughs) So he starts chatting it up with some of the boys. He tells them, You gotta look good to be on Cordelia's arm, or they tell him that rather. And he says it's not her arm I'm looking to be on. And my first thought was, okay, what what then? <laughs> or what? <laughs> but this is just locker room talk. It doesn't have to make yeah. sense.
1: <laughs> but the but it's locker room talk that is so tame. Like uh, you know, in real world they would not be innuendoing it so politely, you yeah. know.
0: That's true. Uh, and we get a tracking POV shot for the trillionth time this season because that's their one horror trick they pulled out of the bag. <laughs> and uh, we hear a girl laughing. And so Mitch reaches for a bat when he starts to get wigged out. It hovers in front of him instead and starts, while well, beating the living hell out of him. <laughs>
1: yes. Which, what, 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 I guess, I seem to remember, with the bat just kind of on his locker? Yeah, like, it was. Yeah. It was. it was conveniently
0: there it's sometimes CGI sometimes a real bat Yeah, it's not terrible CGI but it is clear when it is CGI yeah. um, one thing that I thought was interesting is the girl laughing we will get to know her later in the episode and she very well may be the invisible girl aforementioned but <laughs> possibly there's a chance but it's actually the laughter of a famous actress Really? Is it Stark laughter? No, it is the the actress herself, is Clea Duvall. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I knew she looked familiar, and I was going to point out that she looked like Clea Duvall, <laughs> and I'm glad I didn't, because I'd look really stupid. Well, now I told you, so now I do, but, <laughs> but I thought it looked like her. I thought she did some great voice acting. In the, I mean, she's obviously, as per the title, we don't really see her in the episode a whole lot, but I thought she did some excellent voice acting. Yeah, so in the hallway later, Cordelia's handing out chocolates with a C on them, uh, so people will vote for her for May Queen. C for Wilma. Yeah, Harmony asks, (laughs) C for Cordelia? And Cordelia says, no, C for Wilma, little brain. (laughs) Which, in high school, you know, that's what the people did. That's what happened in my High School. People just handed out treats that were branded with their name to try and win your favor. Uh, Cordelia was going to give Buffy chocolate, but she doesn't need the loony fringe vote and decides not to. Buffy has an excellent comeback. Well, I don't even like chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) That's a little too late, even if it was to be delivered and everything properly. (laughs) Uh, Her locker has a sticker that says it's a demon on wheels on it, which is kind of funny, given that's what she fights. Like, I feel like it's, like, an ad for, like, a skateboard or something. But it's kind of funny that it says that. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. That was the only sticker I caught because I didn't bother pausing and looking at all of them. But uh, Willow and Xander show up. Willow's drinking one of the... <sighs> Frank, I don't know if you can help me out with this. It's one of those colorful sodas with a plastic kind of waxy bottle. They're really thin. I can't remember what they're called, and it's been driving me nuts since I saw this episode.
1: Oh, my, I, that didn't catch my eye. So, but it's... um. I I don't quite remember that, but so so uh, so she's just drinking this this soda. Yeah, for like a bright red. <laughs> she oh actually
0: drank it in an earlier episode as well, and I can never remember what they're called, and they're not around anymore, to my knowledge. But they've got sort of like a plasticky waxy bottle. I don't huh. know.
1: Oh, it's uh, yeah, I'm nuts. sorry, I did not catch that. And, of course,
0: conveniently, the labels are ripped off in the show, so that makes it, <laughs> I mean, good for them because they don't have to pay, but it makes it more difficult for us. Well, listeners, when this episode comes out, tweet me at, at Wheedoncast, Tell me what it is. <laughs> Google it for me. Uh, but Willow and Xander, like I said, they show up. They start bashing Cordelia. And Buffy starts to seem to feel a little bit better. She's kind of down in the dumps with all the insults that are this episode. <laughs> uh, until they start rattling off an inside joke. About some guy with antlers on his belt in a class field trip. And something suddenly you're gonna be oh, my yeah. deputy. <laughs> yeah. I
1: I listened to that so many times trying to get okay. the reference, and I guess there wasn't a reference, but I I just didn't get it. <laughs> yeah. I mean it was definitely it was so inside joke that I just couldn't couldn't figure out what they were talking about. But it was apparently
0: hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> And they brush it off as a you-had-to-be-there moment. So Buffy's still feeling left out. Uh, and to make things worse, Xander starts making fun of May Queen until Buffy reveals that she was May Queen in L.A. <laughs> and really, just she can't catch a break this episode. It's a poor, depressed slayer. Yeah. Which is not a big plot point of the episode. Like she does seem down in the dumps, and it's almost like paralleling the theme of the episode, but not focused on explicitly. I think that's the point: is that it's supposed to, you know, it's in, in invisible girl, you know.
1: Yeah. Um, I just brought up the episode because I wanted to see that wax bottle that you were talking about, and there it is. I'm looking at it, and I don't know what that is. Right? Oh, and it I, looks so but, familiar. Uh, but I'm with you. I'm. I'm. Yeah, it's, oh, okay, now that's going to drive me crazy. So hopefully someone <laughs> will, will tweet you the answer to it. But
0: I'll keep you in the loop. I've been thinking
1: it's like pick-a-pop, but I don't think it is.
0: Mm, maybe. But, Frank, is May Queen a common thing over, over in the States? I've never heard of it. Uh, like prom queen or formal queen, yeah, but not May Queen. Never heard of it.
1: Never heard of May Queen either um you know sometimes there there's spring flings and and right. uh, usually the Sadie Hawkins dance I usually think that's usually a, a a springtime thing but now the May Queen uh, I'm not familiar with that I think I our high school
0: uh Mr. Universe had like a I think it was like a winter king and winter queen or something like that Yeah the win- the winter formal king or something yeah Yeah it was the winter formal and they had like I don't know the ice king from Adventure Time. The Ice King! <laughs> I don't know what it was called. <laughs> the Ice King and the Ice Witch or something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Willow's Giggle, when she's laughing at this inside joke, it's just infectious because everything else in Hennigan does, you're like, stop being so cute in the 90s. She's just adorable. Anyway, some guy interrupts saying, guys, Mitch got wailed on. <laughs> some, <laughs> which is some great slang that's still occasionally used. Still makes me laugh today. And... I think he's, and then we smash cut to Principal Snyder. Dead? Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) I love Armin Shimmerman. Snyder was only supposed to be in, I think, the puppet show, or maybe just a few episode arc, but fans just loved him, so he stuck around. He's, you know, he sticks around for quite a while because he's just such a foil to, to Flutie. And a show with, you know, enough mystical antagonists, just like a. A mean high school principal is <laughs> just so great.
1: Now, um, help me out for career-wise with, with him. Has he Was he post um, um, Star Trek Deep Space Nine? or wow. Had he done that role yet as core? I don't think he had yet, no. Okay.
0: Um, I can't remember. We talked about it briefly last time, though I did not do enough research, and I think One Zig Puppy called me out on that. Yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know if, if he was. Uh, I think okay. it was after I mean, We'll have to look it up. Well, this was 97. And so I think Deep Space Nine was a little later than that. Oh. So uh, Snyder says there's no dead students here this week, which <laughs> is a dark realization when you think about it. Imagine all like, the <laughs> upset parents. That have to get called every week because the teen death rate's so high. Oh, sorry, your daughter was <laughs> murdered. <laughs> but really, I think they're living in Sunnydale. It's par for the course. And they're like, oh, just didn't think you'd be my kid. <laughs> well, I don't think it'd be that
1: mild of a reaction. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, but, well, people do. People just seem to kind of shrug it off. Like, oh, that's terrible. And just the next day, it's just like, you know, uh, the off the algebra. <laughs> Yeah. The science teacher was eaten by a praying mantis.
0: <laughs> but uh, a stretcherified Mitch explains to Buffy what happened. And Snyder stops Buffy from inge- investigating, but uh, Willow's quick thinking. <laughs> she uh, she discusses that Mitch was going to sue the school. <laughs> and Xander plays along saying Mitch's dad is a huge lawyer, so Buffy sneaks off while Snyder's distracted by suing Taco the Beast. <laughs> In the locker room, Buffy doesn't really find anything suspicious at first. You know, she investigates the bat, checks the locker room, but when she closes four lockers, it spells out, look, in red spray paint, which is the choice color when you want to write an ominous message but aren't, you know, (laughs) crazy enough to use blood.
1: (laughs) But I I do have to say that that was pretty eye catching that that look. I thought that that was, it was convenient that all the doors were, were open that way. But yeah. <laughs> when you closed it and I saw all look, I, I kind of forgot about that. And I thought, Oh, that's actually kind of, you know, creepy in a good way. So,
0: yeah. Well, this episode, to be honest, when I was planning out the season and looked at all the episodes by the title, I remembered every single one of them, except for this one until I saw, you know, the alternate title. But yeah, I didn't, This is the one that didn't really stick in my mind until I thought about it. So, yeah, almost everything in this episode was, like, watching it for the first time. I just didn't remember it all.
1: Yeah, I
0: forgot most of it as well.
1: Which is kind of funny if you think about it, because that's kind of what this whole show is (laughs) about. I mean, this whole episode is about. forgetting. We'll get to that, but...
0: (laughs) That's pretty funny. Yeah, that's true. Uh, (laughs) Buffy tells Willow and Xander later that she doesn't think it was a monster, because monsters don't usually leave messages. I and mean, Giles agrees which makes Buffy pretty happy and her but so distracting this episode is this huge plastic sapphire ring that is on her finger and I don't know why her jewelry is always so bad that it catches my eye it's frustrating it's the 90s you weren't alone in that because I think One Sick Puppy was also pointing out some horrendous jewelry I never really noticed their bad jewelry except for Xander's pimp rings when he was in the <laughs> cell and teaches pet but <laughs> You uh, seem to always notice the the, the fashion minutiae. Yeah. And one of Giles' theories about what's going on is it's a poltergeist, which I think might have been the original concept for the episode. If you're they're breaking it down like there was, you know, we've assumed that the pack might have been a, a play on werewolves. We've had witches. We've had vampires. You know, I think Ghost might have been one of their ideas and it evolved into this. I think the pack could also be taken as just a demonic possession. Right. But, uh, so they decide Willow's going to go check a list of dead and missing kids, which this is Sunnydale, so <laughs> see her in a week.
1: <laughs> yeah, apparently that's a that's a long list <laughs> to go through. Jesus, man. <laughs> Can you not just going
0: through, oh, yeah, I forgot that that one died. <laughs> and Xander gets all put on research duty, but he asks Buffy, well, what's your job? She says, "Finding out what I can about Mitch." He's like, "Well, I want to do that." <laughs> so Buffy tells, "Well, you have to talk to Cordelia." And then he changes his mind and <laughs> decides to go research with Giles. <laughs> Meanwhile, Cordelia Cordelia seems upset that Mitch is hurt. Uh, it turns out, though, it's because their their May Queen and King and Queen pictures would look bad. <laughs> <laughs> Which not not even surprised. She's honestly. she cares about him. <laughs> she, she, can't, oh.
1: she cares how she looks next <laughs> to him.
0: Yeah, <laughs> She's I mean, concerned that someone's hurt. <laughs> and we flash, In a sense. <laughs> we flash back to a scene earlier, uh, in the same location too, where Cordelia is talking to Harmony uh, about wanting to ask Mitch out, and it's in sepia tone or however you pronounce it.
1: Sepia, yeah, sepia. sepia.
0: So, sepia. this is the only time this is used in the series. This doing you know, a flashback and see if you don't uh, now in the Instagram era I don't know how I feel about it
1: <laughs> but it's lost its meaning it's just so <laughs> overused
0: it's lost its meaning but yeah uh, that was unique but I guess to tell you that it's a flashback without telling you yeah. it's a flashback because it's the same location same characters it might be a bit confusing uh, a girl speaks up in the flashback and they turn to the camera and say what do you want and we cut to present day. Uh, Bobby's trying to talk to Cordelia. And Harmony's there too. And she gets tossed down the staircase. By an in- unseen force. And breaks her ankle. Or assumes she breaks yeah. her ankle. She thinks it's broken. So of course Snyder's there. Because as we discussed in the past. He has the ability to just appear when he's needed. <laughs> or when it's least convenient for him to be there I guess. And so he's here now. <laughs> I love his line. Don't sue. Yeah. <laughs> Just immediately. Uh, Buffy hears the girl laughing, so she follows the voice to a closing door. And yeah, meanwhile, Snyder's (laughs) trying to convince Harmony not to sue. I laughed. I actually laughed out loud at that part. Yeah. So Buffy goes into the band room, and she gets bumped by something unseen, which is, you know, I was thinking about it, and I thought, that's some... might be difficult to act. I've never tried it. But to, like, actually look like you were physically smashed into by something... When you haven't been? Yeah, I was thinking about that later in this episode, actually, during a, a particular fight scene. So, I thought that was cool. Well, whatever it is, it escapes through the ceiling tiles. Which, man, you're invisible. You can literally go any way out of there, <laughs> and you take the roof. <laughs> yeah, they'll never find me up here. Like, they're never going to find you anywhere you go. <laughs> but later that day, some creepy guys in suits outside the school. And Giles explained to the gang ghosts, pretty much, the theory of ghosts, how they feel, how they act, and Buffy says, well, that's not what it was, because it bumped into me, it wasn't cold, it was warm, it didn't pass through me, so she's got a new theory that it's an invisible girl, and I don't know, (laughs) uh, no spoilers, (laughs) but that may or may not be what it is. I like how how good Buffy is at her outrageous guessing throughout this whole season. She She comes to some pretty wild conclusions. But she's right all the time. (laughs) Now that we know, I'm just going to say it. Now that we know for sure it's an invisible girl. (laughs) How pervy is it that she was in the male locker room earlier? I get the feeling she wasn't there to beat up Mitch. Not in the first place. (laughs) That was a secondary thing that happened. Be honest, Mr. Universe. (laughs) What is on your to-do list? Had you the power to turn invisible? <laughs> I'd probably I don't know, go shopping, you know, just normal things. Go about my day. Nothing weird. <laughs> Frank, how about you?
1: <laughs> well, um okay, if I had the power to be invisible, I'd I'd probably still go to work, <laughs> do my filing, you know, do the copying and, and stuff like that. And See? Normal and, things. and uh drive because that would be kind of fun just seeing me (laughs) seeing this car drive around (laughs) and uh you know go grocery shopping (laughs) you know all these boring mundane things that would just freak people out and then and then you hit the locker room afterwards but you know you (laughs) gotta freak some people out sometimes
0: there we go there we go (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean that's. uh, Don't get me wrong, that's on the list, but it's a priority list, and you know, (laughs) I got to get my job done first before I can go play. So
0: (laughs) I wouldn't bother showing up to work because if I did, I'd probably be considered absent.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I that did not occur to me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Xander agrees, saying he would use his power to defend the girls' locker room if he had that power, which. You so rudely implied of me a minute ago <laughs> I think you I think you would. I think everyone would, let's be honest here. Uh, in the background we got two people on rollerblades just going back and forth, the same people throughout the entire scene It made me so happy. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I thought of the Healys joke from a couple weeks ago and it just made me happy. Healys yeah. Yeah. Uh, Xander spouts some Greek mythology lore uh, and then says, Research boy comes through with the knowledge. (laughs) And he's so cool and just confident in acting in the role of Xander already. I just think he did did such a great job just seeing, like, feeling comfortable in the role. Yeah, and then they deduce uh, the common denominator because Harmony and Mitch have been attacked. Yeah, but to be fair... So is being popular. Like, Cordelia's the common denominator they come up with. But being popular is, too. Yeah. I, so I they, they're they jumping to conclusions again. But, spoilers, they're right. <laughs> Willow, while exiting, decides to... Or Buffy is tells her again, which I don't know why she told her again, because it was touched on earlier in the episode, tells her to bring up the missing kids report tomorrow. Which... It takes a while. We've talked about this... <laughs>
1: And it is, it, it, yeah, it is 1997, so I assume she's working with a dot matrix printer and, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's been going. Lotus123, you know, database, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's been, she printed off and Buffy first told her. Now she's got to go pick it up. It's almost done. <laughs> <laughs> the file is almost loaded on the computer. <laughs> But uh, while exiting, Xander tells Willow, you want to come back to my place? My mom's making her famous phone call to the Chinese food place. <laughs> Where Great Willow line. responds, yeah. Willow responds, do you even have a stove? <laughs> uh, Giles asks Buffy how she can hunt what she can't see, and jokes that she may have to actually learn how to listen to people. And This scene transition, the audio keeps going as the scene changes, and this is one of many kind of unique scene transitions in this episode, so I think it must be a trademark of Mr., I believe it's Badi, Badi. I can't remember how to pronounce it. He's a pretty well-known TV director, and he actually passed away a few years ago, so rest in peace. But he, yeah, I think that's just a trademark of his. Who directed this episode? I can't remember. Ariza, I want to say Badi. Oh, yes, that's correct. Uh, later, Buffy's patrolling the school. She sees Cordelia working on her dress at school. At school, yeah. <laughs> at
1: night, <laughs> and I
0: felt that was oddly human too. Like she just felt like she's. It almost felt like a bride getting ready for a wedding, and all her bridesmaids were there. <laughs> <At school>. Okay. <laughs> well, no, that's just the like. I feel like when I'm a bride and I'm getting married, <laughs> that's what it's gonna be like. <laughs> at school. At school. At school <laughs> yes. And you'll be the bride. (laughs) And I'll be the bride. Uh, But yeah, I feel like this episode has put Cordelia in a more real person light than any other episode. I agree. And Buffy's in the halls, watching from a distance, and Giles is later in the library, but they both at the same time hear a flute, playing Bach Sonata in E-flat major. And Giles hears a creak. Why do you know that? (laughs) I looked it up. (laughs) <laughs> He's cultured.
1: I Googled it. He's Mr. Universe. He's I mean, got the culture.
0: Exactly. I, I mean, yeah, I totally knew that. But Giles hears a creek in the library. He's pretty spooked. He looks in the glass case and he just sees his reflection, but he turns around and angels there and whatever. Everybody jumped at that scene. Giles jumped. Angel jumped. I jumped. I didn't jump. I jumped. I <laughs> was like, Angel, stop that. Where'd you come from? And he tells Giles that vampires cast no reflection, which everybody knows. Except, except for Darla, vampires don't cast reflection except when they're walking past shiny bookcases, looking in <laughs> mirrors that are just happen to be in the scene. Yeah. Uh, walking through puddles, yeah, just basically
1: when convenient. They <laughs> don't
0: cast reflections when they remember to edit them out. <laughs> and Angel tells Giles that uh, he hasn't fed on humans in a long while, which we all kind of knew, and. I feel like this is the scene, or I guess it I don't feel like it. It is the first time that Angel and Giles actually meet. Yeah. Especially one-on-one. So it's a bit, like, I was like, weird. I've never seen them together. Uh, Angel tells Giles that he came to him because he can't be around Buffy. And Giles has a great line, iconic line. A vampire in love with the slayer. It's rather poetic in a modeling kind of way. And that's always stuck with me. That's one of the lines from the entire series that sticks in my head. Yeah. I think yeah, the first two lines, a vampire in love of the slayer, it's rather poetic. Those are you know I try and watch a fan video without those lines in there somewhere. Like it's <laughs> it's iconic. People remember that line.
1: And uh, you know, a- Angel also has a has a line in there that I really like, talking about how. Um, uh, how he misses his reflection. I can't remember the exact line, but how he just misses seeing himself.
0: Yeah, he said it's an overrated pleasure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because they start talking about, uh, well, first they talk about the Master a bit and how they both know something's coming. Angel offers to get Giles a lost text about Slayer as a codex, mm-hmm. uh, which Giles is pretty pumped about. And then, And then they start talking about the Invisible Girl, and yeah, Angel kind of relates to her, saying that, well, I can't see my reflection either. It's not great. So actually the uh, pergamum codex is the full name of the book right Pergamum, i don't know <laughs> and, and uh so we get another sepia flashback girl getting ignored by cordy and her crew in the bathroom kind of upsetting you know she's trying to be a part of it just like she like she's friends with them and they just look we're talking okay and just ignore her and then cordelia steals her joke about toupees <laughs> it's just kind of like Claire. that's <laughs> that's the worst when you make a joke and no one pays attention and someone else steals your joke and everyone laughs. I mean, I'm very, very guilty of that.
1: But <laughs> when I'm the person who made the joke initially, it sucks. <laughs> I, I just hate it when, when, when they tell the joke better than you, that's the one that I always hate. you know, it's like, um, <laughs> you know, they just put a flourish on it and more people hear it. And it's just like, dang it. That was my zinger. You stole my zinger. I improved your zinger. <laughs> <laughs> my zinger. We, get a,
0: we got to a really weird outdoor ceremony for the, the May Queen. They announced that it's Cordelia outdoors. I don't know if it's like a practice run <laughs> and they just assume she's going to win or if this is the real <laughs> deal and nobody showed up. But, it's yeah, it's weird. It's a pretty empty outdoor ceremony. There's a couple of kids here or there, but it feels like they were already there. And she has a pretty bad speech saying, being this popular is not just my right. It's my responsibility, and I take it very seriously. <laughs> and uh, that's when Willow first notices the, the FBI-like dudes. And she says, you know, has, does Cordy hire bodyguards? Yeah, which is – I was kind of wondering, like, what are these guys, what is their deal? Because if there is, you know, government agencies monitoring supernatural, uh, you know, uh, supernatural occurrences, where have they been before now? Where have they been since? <laughs> They're doing a bad job. <laughs> but Buffy finds that the most recent entry on Willow's missing kids list is Marcy Ross, which was six months ago, and nobody remembers her.
1: That's really sad. Yeah. That is like tremendously sad. Even the the scene you're about to describe—it's her wow. that you're about to get to. It's just, I, I I think we I think most of us either know someone or may can even relate a little bit. Like nobody ever noticed me in school, and, wow. and just and how just hurtful that could be.
0: I agree completely. And yeah, Buffy thinks this is their gal because uh, she played flute in band, and she heard the flute. Uh, so she investigates the band room later, finds a footprint, uh, uh, I guess probably an asbestos footprint, <laughs> and she decides to check the ceiling tile because that clues her in, if it's asbestos. Uh, while investigating, she finds kind of a makeshift bed up there with a flute and sheet music and like, damn, this girl's a mess. She does not clean up. <laughs> she, was, she wasn't expecting guests. <laughs> But, uh, exactly. She finds a yearbook, and she does confirm that it is Miss Marcy Ross who is doing this. And behind That's her, a- there's a hovering knife because uh, Miss Marcy Ross has some issues. <laughs> That's so, like, Someone's paying attention to her. She should be happy. Right? That sounded really mean. <laughs> 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 but, uh, meanwhile, the teacher gets a visit from someone invisible who has just left Buffy. Miss Miller. And, and puts a plastic sheet over her face and smothers her. Jesus Christ. That's messed up. Yeah. I was like, whoa. Chill out, it's just a teacher. <laughs> and it made, Cordelia... me Boy, of, it made me think of Clone High. Yeah.
1: <laughs> now, now why why do you think Marcy killed the teacher? Um,
0: um
1: I mean she didn't I mean she did ignore her in that one flashback, but it just—it just seemed like like weird that she would kill the teacher. I think because Cordelia who was going to talk to her, maybe I don't know. Is she's going to
0: help Cordelia study, and she's like that? I can't even allow something as small as that. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe I don't know. Uh, Cordelia does find her just in time, saves her. Thank God. So no human death count of one, not this time. Uh, and Chalk writes on the board behind them. Listen, which is their second mm. of the the three lessons. And Buffy tells the whole gang about the yearbook that she found. She took it with her. She stole this poor girl's yearbook. And everybody, everybody wrote, have a nice summer, because she had no friends. And they point out, Giles doesn't get it, and they point out that have a nice summer is the kiss of death, because that means it's what you say they when didn't know what to I say. say.
1: <laughs> and, I
0: got more than a few have a nice summers. And yeah. so. <laughs> this is the scene that Frank was talking about not too long ago. Buffy points out that Willow and Xander did know her because they both wrote it too, which is really sad. Like that these characters thought they didn't know this girl, but they were just as guilty. Kate, I'll give you Xander. You know, Xander is guilty. He wrote, have a nice summer. Willow wrote, have a great summer. She cared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I cared a little. Or something
1: <laughs> I cared a little more than anyone else.
0: Yeah. And, <laughs> They talk about, well, it's not like, you know, we knew her or anything until Willow pulls up the class list and realized that they each had four classes with her this semester.
1: Oh, that that hurt a little bit when looked said like that.
0: Four out of five, four out of six, like not many classes in a semester.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So it's like, wow, these characters are just as guilty as like Cordelia. And Xander jokes that she turned invisible because no one noticed her. And Giles slaps the table down, says, you're right. Slaps the table down. He, like, slams his hand. Was he lifting the table up? <laughs> he just slaps it in a downward motion. <laughs> and he says, you're right. It's not mystical, it's physics. Which, that's some flimsy physics, man. That is, yeah, he says it's quantum mechanical. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Since people perceived her as invisible, she is. Which... Sunnydale physics (laughs) 101. I have a quantum physics question for you. (laughs) If Marcy was in a box (laughs) and there was like a a poison release thing that could go off at any time, is Marcy alive or dead in that box?
1: Yes. (laughs) Good answer. (laughs) Yes.
0: If a Marcy falls in a forest and nobody's around (laughs) to pick her up, did she fall? Who cares? It's Marcy Ross.
1: (laughs) Yeah, just have a nice summer and, you know, forget about her.
0: I I do love that we we forgot about this episode. It feels like we're no better than any of the characters in this show. I know!
1: But I forgot entirely
0: about Marcy Ross. I did.
1: I do like that. That even though it, it, you know, it's Star Trek science for the most part, but that it's not magic, but science that, um, yeah, that is the reason, and that kind of plays in as the story goes on.
0: Uh, so, cut to a flashback in class. Uh, nobody's noticing Marcy, not even Miss. What's her name again? Miss Miller. Teacher, <laughs> Miller. Yeah, Miss Miller, and she looks at her hand, and it starts to fade, which is actually based on a dream Joss had as a kid. Which is kind of a scary thought, and also supposedly mirrors a scene in Back to the Future, which I unfortunately haven't seen.
1: You haven't seen the Back to the Future.
0: No, I'm a plebeian. I, I feel like I should have. Uh, There's too many franchises that I should have seen that I haven't. Yeah,
1: you're in for a treat when you see, watch that. And yeah, that's a scene. That's a scene from from um, the first and second one, I think.
0: Anyway. Don't believe the lies. Everyone says the third one isn't as good as the first two. I thought it <laughs> held up. Don't listen to them. But yeah, Cordelia comes to the library for help. Post flashback. Uh, she's insulting Buffy the whole time, which is not a good way to ask for help. Just FYI <laughs> for our listeners. She does that next episode too with Willow. <laughs> but she says. This is all about me. They're coming after everyone around me. And Xander says, for once, she's right. It is all about her. <laughs> she legitimately says, me, me, me. Yeah. During this scene, and Buffy says, "Why well, come to me?" And Cordelia says, "Well, I recognize that you're strong. You're always around when weird stuff happens. So I was hoping you're in a gang." <laughs> Which is not what I where I expected that to go. <laughs> she figured it out. <laughs> Buffy's terrible secret, but <laughs> they agree to help her to Cordelia begrudgingly and she's not they tell her all about explanation of what's happening you know there's an invisible girl and she's not freaked out at all in the slightest which maybe it's
1: a Sunnydale thing wow you know what that's a very good point She's just like you know people die here there's invisible people you know whatever yeah she's just like I don't care what it is just stop it
0: like she doesn't seem to care I mean, they they deal with enough weird stuff that they just rationalize their thoughts away. So I guess, uh, Marcy later is freaking out in her in her flute cave. <laughs> <laughs> is that a good name for it?
2: <laughs>
0: yes, <laughs> as good a name a as any. Name. <laughs> uh, in the ceiling, nonetheless, and <laughs> you know, like bat. You think cave like Batman's cave underground, like just Forge of solitude in the middle of nowhere, no. Marcy's like I'm going go once st- I'm gonna hide in the ceiling, which all right.
1: So, so technically, it's a flute attic, but but <laughs> we we'll call it a flute cave because that's just cool.
0: Yeah, and it's clear that her issue is Cordelia. Like she defaced Cordy's picture in the yearbook. She's freaking out. She's muttering under her breath about Cordelia. She's not happy that Cordelia's going to be the May Queen. Uh, she's just losing it. She's or she's already lost it at this point. But they think down below that Marcy's gonna attack the coronation, but Cordelia makes a good point. If I don't go, then Marcy won, and she's she's the bad guy. She's way eviler than me, <laughs> which is true. And yeah. so Cordelia's bait, and Xander and Willow are on research duty. And later, Cordelia is talking to Buffy about it, and I love this scene. I absolutely love it. She says, "So she's invisible because she's unpopular." And then she goes on to talk about how awful it is to feel lonely. And Buffy jokes, well, have you read about this phenomenon? And Cordelia snaps back with just my favorite line from her this season, which is, you think I'm not lonely? Yeah, you think I'm not lonely because I'm popular? And you wrote it down, so read it out. Read it loud and proud. (laughs) Hey, you think I'm never lonely because I'm so cute and popular? I can be surrounded by people and be completely alone. It's not like any of them really know me. I don't even know if they like me half the time. People just want to be in a popular zone. Sometimes when I talk, everyone's so busy agreeing with me, they don't hear a word I say. That's from the script. That's fantastic. And then Buffy says, well, if you feel so alone, why do you try so hard to be popular? And Cordelia says, it beats being alone by yourself. Which is so...
1: I just loved Cordelia after this scene. Loved it. That's a that's a pretty profound line and pretty profound words for her to for that character to say, because at least she she's somewhat connected to what's really going on, even though she she pretends to be above it all, but she can secretly relate.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's one of those great scenes where it's like, is this person for real? And then they come out and you're like, you think I don't realize what I'm doing? You know, obviously, you know, this is. There's more to it than this, and it's... it's, Those those are great scenes. Yeah, it's kind of touching, kind of sad, and, yeah, I really just cared about Cordelia in this episode because of this scene. I feel like it makes her feel like one of the gang in a weird way, like the start of Cordelia being a part of... I did feel that way, and I did write that it feels like she's slowly becoming part of the gang. Because... And that just... That, yeah, it's... As for someone who's in the title credits of every episode, you would hope she's starting to feel like she's <laughs> coming, coming part of the gang. And yeah, it's just so self-aware of Cordelia to say something like that, and gives you like her motives for being like why she says the mean things she does, why she acts the way she is, why she's perceived the way she is. It's because she does it, so she doesn't have to feel so alone. Sad. sad. It's sad. But you know, at the heart, that's I think every high school kid feels alone. Well that's what the whole episode's about, you know? Yeah. Loneliness in high school. And they're all the invisible girls. Even Xander.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's the ugliest of the pretty of the uh, girls.
0: doesn't matter if you're all invisible. <laughs> but yeah, this is a great spot, I think, to put that scene in. Right before the season ends, like an episode before, just to So, like, you don't get the static character the whole season. By the end, she's got some development. Yeah. And later in the library, the gang starts to hear a flute, which is basically like hearing a trumpet on a battlefield. (laughs) (laughs) Not sure if that's an accurate description. Giles thinks that they should maybe reason with and possibly grab her. Meanwhile, Courtney's changing in the mop closet, which Buffy will take to her grave. (laughs) And the flute music leads the gang to a creepy abandoned room. It's the boiler room, which we've seen a bunch. Lots of bad stuff. Showers and boiler rooms is, are the bad places to go in this episode or in this show. It's usually the girl's locker room. This time it wasn't. Yeah, but there was a girl in there. So maybe it, there has to be a girl in a locker room and then something bad will happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh-oh, as a tape recorder. So Xander says, can you say gulp? Because they've been had. And the door slams behind him. And the room starts filling with gas. Which this girl's raw. She's she doesn't <laughs> care what she's doing. She doesn't care who she hurts. That's the librarian. <laughs> the librarian. It's just wow. Like she's wow. Cold blooded. <laughs> so
2: crazy.
0: <laughs> that's the best way to put it. Crazy with that infliction.
2: <laughs>
0: and Buffy's trying to have a heart to heart with Cordelia through the door. Cordy keeps ruining it with insults, but <laughs> stops stops. She just stops. And Buffy's Cordelia, Cordelia starts banging on the door, it's locked. She breaks in by punching a hole next to the doorknob instead of breaking off the doorknob. <laughs> and Cordy's getting pulled through the ceiling tile. <laughs>
1: <laughs> which, uh, which you know, Invisible Girl at this point, she you know, I guess she's super strong too. Yeah. Maybe and she made she... an
0: invisible winch to pull. Oh, her. <laughs> okay, no, that makes she's... sense. Has planned this out sense. too. She knows where she's going. Like she's like planned out. Like they're going to the boiler room, turn on the gas, then I'll go back here. By this time, Cordelia should be <laughs> like. It's like she knows where everyone is. She's just a really quick thinker. Yeah. But the way this scene is shot, especially with the stunt Buffy going up through the ceiling tile after her, it feels like they turned the set on its side, and then they climbed through the side that way, and then made it look like it was the roof, when really it was sideways. They do that very often. It's usually upside down entirely, but... Yeah, so just go check it out, because it that's the feeling I got, just the way that the hair and everything fell. It didn't feel right, so go check it out, see if you agree. But the gang is choking, meanwhile, choking to death because the door is locked and the valve is broken off. Xander goes to chop down the door, but one spark in the building goes boom, so Jaws stops him, because even when he can't breathe, he's the thinker. Yeah. And Buffy finds Cordelia knocked out up in Marcy's flute attic, and she gets knocked out herself, right, quite the fall, because it's right through the roof, right through a table. Like, <laughs> yeah, wow. Is, like, WWE. Like, that's what I, was, that's what I was just going to say, that was like straight out of WWE. Like, Marcy yeah. threw her off the top of the cage through the announce table. <laughs> now, Marcy is one of the more ruthless monsters of this Monster in a Week format. Like She is the most threatening, I think, so far. Well, I mean, Hyena's eight people. <laughs> but, but this is a normal girl doing normal things these are normal things. Well, she lives in the roof, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and she's and invisible. She's su- and she's super strong, and um, yeah, and she has an invisible wench, and you know, she's she's just <laughs> she's a master. Let's see, mastermind,
0: master builder. She's super yeah. strong, super smart, invisible. She's just like the perfect supervillain. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: <laughs> but. A medicine bag drops next to Buffy and a syringe comes out because she's also got access to that. And it gets Buffy in the neck, which she's got issues. She keep saying it. it. (laughs) She's fine. (laughs) And later, Buffy and Cardiglia wake up. They're tied to chairs. And what I think is the theater department, I don't think it's specified, but it's pretty show tunesy. dance. So I think it's the theater department. And Cornelia can't feel her face. It's numb. <laughs> Which, eh, that's you know, Botox. <laughs> <laughs> that is explained later. But uh, they're trying to figure out what she's doing. And they see that the glitter on the stage curtain spells out learn. Look, Which, listen, learn. Look, listen, learn. The three lessons. And this is getting creepy, I thought. This is actually a pretty tense scene. Pretty creepy scene. I thought it was cool. Uh, Marcy shows up with a, a trolley kind of rolling. How do you know Marcy's cart. there? Well, a, a cart rolls up. <laughs> I assume she doesn't have accomplices that are invisible. Maybe she does. We don't know. But like, a well, cart. you would
1: up. never know, would we? I mean, <laughs> we probably wouldn't know. Nobody knows.
0: <laughs> school could be packed with invisible students. That's true. That's very true. But uh, she says, I'm disappointed. I really thought you'd figure it out by now. You're not the student. You're the lesson. And she, Cordelia can't feel her face she mentions that it's a local anesthetic and says I'm going to give you a face no one will ever forget and breaks out all these medical tools which I don't know where she got those either but wow this girl's twisted and this episode went from a, just a regular like kind of plain idea like a meh episode like eh whatever to really messed up
1: it really tends. Yeah. I mean it it, it is pretty messed up. <laughs>
0: like we I think we're surprised more often this season than maybe the rest of it. it's so many things that we're like, how'd they get that on TV? Like teen <laughs> teen suicide or like self harm or stuff like like we're like, whoa, like didn't see that coming. That's so messed up. Like so dark for a season one of a you know, a teenage drama. I'd say it's more than a teenage drama. Well And it's... I think the reason that's more than a teenage drama is why they can get away with some really dark stuff. I think at the time, though, that's what it was built towards. That was the audience they were trying to get. Like the Degrassi fans and stuff. (laughs) Degrassi wasn't even around yet, I don't think. Maybe. I don't know my Degrassi very well. You're Canadian. (laughs) But, uh, meanwhile, so Courtney starts freaking out. uh, And Buffy gets punched in the face, which I believe is what you were talking about earlier, Clairvoyant, when she kind of gets... Punched by an invisible girl, and she didn't actually get punched. Unless... It, it is this scene. Uh, not that in particular. But yeah, this scene is what I was referring to. Do you think maybe they had Clea Duvall in like a green screen suit, and she was actually just punching people? <laughs> it's like one of those Lycra suits.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the green you know, uh, uh, You know, in... in uh doing stuff like that like that type of acting it it can look really kind of cheesy and stuff is not done right so yeah so um you know cheers for her cuz she uh, um Michelle Geller because she did i mean you know i bought it
0: yeah yeah i think sound effects also go a long way i think if they didn't put in the sound effects it would look really weird
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> just like
0: her like throwing herself with things it's like what are you doing narrator <laughs> from fight club <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so a scalpel floats up. It's going to cut Cordy's face. So Cordy losing it, freaking out. Meanwhile, on that tense note, the gang passes out in the room with all the gas, which is a human death count of three. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, they all pass out, which, you know, at this point I was actually, you know, though I'm aware of what happens, feeling a little, like, worried. Like, wow, like, this girl planned this out so well who can save them and back in the theater uh, marcy decides they're going to start with a smile it should be wider and cordelia tries to reason with her saying once hey, she told buffy earlier which we know is true you know the i know what you feel but marcy doesn't buy it she's she's past the point of reasoning she's lost it and she slashes cordy on the face
1: which made me cringe <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, I, I I thought for sure there was going to be a last second rescue, and you know they never really get around to the slashing. I was, you know, in in I'm glad they did that because it just felt like there was more at stake.
0: <laughs> On bottle rockets, a character gets hit with the claw of a hammer, or a, I think it's a it's a crowbar, screwdriver. I don't know, screwdriver. That's it. This reminded me of that. It just it. People getting slashed in the face with objects, I guess, makes me cringe quite a bit. <laughs> and, you know, this chick is raw. I've said it before. But uh, she tells her that she sees right through the line. Her face, if we're being honest, the makeup is not good on Cordelia's face. It's like a red line with like, red lines drawn down from it. It looks like pencil crayon. I did think it would be deeper than that, honestly. Yeah. It's a scalpel. But I guess it was a shallow cut. And I think this episode... Or sorry, I already said that part, so cut that. Uh, Buffy kicks Marcy when she gets too close. She gets free, she unties herself. She tries to untie Cordy, but she gets beat up because invisible. This is what I was talking about, just her throwing herself around. Yeah. Meanwhile, Giles and Co. are too weak to open the door. Giles is still kind of slapping at it, trying, but (laughs) too weak to really do anything. And Deus Ex Angel comes in <laughs> and very convenient. Yeah. Very conveniently. He said, I smelled gas or something like that. <laughs> like I came to give you the codex. I smelled gas, but he, uh, he frees him and they have the best reactions to waking up. Willow says, I'm up mom. And Xander says, hi, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, Angel gives Giles his codex and he goes to shut off the gas because he doesn't need the oxygen. Vamps can't breathe. And he can smell gas i think vamps can breathe they just don't do it (laughs) so vampires can smoke later on they can breathe they choose not to (laughs) and buffy tells marcy that she felt sorry for her until she found out she was a thundering loony uh cordy seems genuinely concerned for buffy in this scene she's like calling out for buffy she's worried if buffy's hurt i thought that was really good too like in
1: I think it's traumatic. just because
0: she's not untied yet. <laughs> Maybe, but in actual traumatic experiences. Like, she always talks about how it was all about her when she hit a girl with a car. But when she's actually there, like, she was, she seemed genuinely worried about Buffy. Which is good. I don't know if it was, you know, writing, acting. But she was really good at acting scared charisma, I really thought. Marcy's doing a pretty good job of beating up Buffy. But Buffy hones and focuses her bullet-time slayer senses.
1: <laughs> yeah. I like just
0: Cordelia, shut up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and she does, actually. <laughs> and, yeah, she focuses. It's really slow motion. You know, she's just kind of thinking. And then, wham! Right in Marcy's face. Punches her through a curtain. Just fantastic. Yeah. And knocks her out cold. The FBI shows up. And I was just joking. But they actually are the FBI. When I first wrote that joke, I didn't know they were the FBI. They show up and introduce themselves as the men in black. And... They said they'll take it from here. I almost thought like they were gonna do a Men in Black and pull out one of those, you know, memory erasing stick things. <laughs> like you didn't see this. Ching.
1: Yeah, I I uh not remembering the episode, I didn't that totally caught me off guard. I um I knew those guys were gonna play some part, but I didn't expect that. <laughs>
0: She was like, well, couldn't you be here 10 minutes ago or we came as fast as we could? Which you've been in the background of this whole episode. What were you doing? Just getting a donut? (laughs) They introduced themselves as Agent Doyle and Minetti. And I wonder if this Doyle is related to another Doyle that we meet later on. (laughs) It's possible but they say that they're going to rehabilitate Marcy, but the feeling I get is that they're going to weaponize Marcy. That's what I heard when they said that. <laughs> yeah, they said she's going to be a very useful member of society. <laughs> and next day, uh, Buffy asked the gang how they got out of the boiler room, and Jaya's lies and says it was the janitor, which, why do you think that is? You know, was it because of her choice to stop seeing Angel? Or, you know... Does he not want her to know that he's been talking to Angel? Like, why do you think that he did that?
1: I was confused, honestly, why he didn't tell her. Yeah, so, so you know, it uh, you get the impression that maybe it's, um, you know, your, your friend, you're at the mall and you see the ex and yeah. your friend's ex and you're just like, eh, just don't say anything about it. <laughs> yeah, especially
0: you don't want to mention, oh, they saved my life. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, so that's probably it and Cordelia stops by and thanks Buffy and the gang all of them which Xander replies it's funny because it looks like Cordelia <laughs> <laughs> uh, Buffy elbows him and it's actually a sincere apology from Cordelia for everything and a sincere thank you yeah and then Willow offers uh, or she says that they're going to go grab some lunch if she wanted to join and Mitch shows up you're talking to these losers <laughs> So Cordelia goes back to the same defense mechanism, Cordelia, that we know, where she kind of pretends she hates him. Though you kind of get the feeling that, you know, she was going to say yes. Yeah. Like, that's the feeling I get. Like, because the way she's talking to him, it almost, like, looks like she's glancing over her shoulder, like, sorry. Well, she even says, you know, I was just being charitable. You really think I felt like joining their group? Like, which he didn't imply, so. <laughs> Yeah, and later, in the FBI, uh, they usher Marcy, unrestrained or anything, so they must really trust her, to an invisible classroom with invisible students, which, this, that's how you don't get around hiring extras, you know, you just... yeah. <laughs> and they open up a new unit, Assassination and Infiltration. And she says, cool, which fun fact, the text underneath that header is actually the lyrics to happiness is a warm gun by the Beatles. (laughs) (laughs) Except they took out every time it says happiness is a warm gun. They changed it with something else just so it's not copyright infringement. But those are the lyrics.
1: That's cool. I really dug that, and 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 the fact that you know the government was going to use her, and that this is something that has happened before, and it just it feels like like there is room to to use that uh, situation again or to use that character again, Marcy.
0: Right, I agree. Yeah, and I kind of wish that they did spoilers. <laughs> yeah,
1: I didn't want to say anything, but yeah, but it, it seems like. Like, um, there was potential there, but a lot of
0: the things that happened in season one are very monster of the week that it's like, wow, you could have addressed this later. You know, you could have branched off of this, such as the, you know, the eggs and teacher's pet. It's like, you know, we could, you could have done more with this, but I found, and in later episodes in later seasons, you know, they will bring back plot points but I found in season one, largely, they're all more or less standalone, aside from the, you know, the arc of the master running underneath most of the episodes. Yeah. So things are called I, uh, back here and there, like references, but not storylines. Yeah. But uh, I think I have mixed feelings on this episode. You know, it started off pretty generic, but it, and it stayed generic, but it got genuinely tense, I thought. And Marcy was one of the more threatening villains. And I really like what they did with Cordelia this episode, too. Yeah. I thought, personally, this episode, it reminded me a lot of Witch in the idea that it's, you know, kind of what the show was going for, dealing with real high school problems, but with a sort of supernatural twist on it. Yeah. And this episode was very reminiscent of that one, so I appreciated that. Yeah, so I think it's time to give our uh, our stakes rating out of five stakes what we rate this episode and frank we'll let you go first what would you give this episode out of five stakes and why
1: okay i think i'm going to give it three and a half mostly because we see um you know we we see cordelia uh, th- there's a little bit of of that um uh one of you guys had just mentioned about how that's a real situation in high school that a lot of us can relate to about not being noticed or feeling like they're alone and stuff. And aside from, from the monster side of it and stuff, I think I, I feel like other people could, uh, could watch that and relate to that particular episode. Uh, I thought the acting was pretty good too. And the plot points and there, and the end of it felt like, like there was potential to, to do something else with Marcy, even though we know, that's not the case, but you know, when that episode ended, it was just like, oh, could this be a recurring character? You know, so I give it three and a half.
0: Okay, and uh, Claiborne, how about you? Uh, I find this is very much on par with Witch, as I had previously mentioned. Uh, it's, it's a good episode. I did enjoy it. There was a lot of strong performances. Uh, Clea did great, and uh, you know, I, I do like the humanization of Cordelia, which... If she's going to be in every episode, you got to give her something. Right. So it's about time they actually did that. Um, I hated Harmony, so that brings it down a bit. <laughs> and I think a three is a perfectly fair uh, score for this episode. It was it was better than I remembered it because I didn't remember it at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, yeah, it had some good parts. It had some corny parts. Uh I'm really torn. I'm torn between a 2.5 and a 3. And I don't want to give it a 2.75 because that's just too many fractions that I have to deal with. But I think maybe I'll go with a 2.5 out of 5. It's a perfectly average episode. It's not a great one. It's not terrible. It's just on par, you know, the midline of the season, I think. And it did deal with some real issues. And it did really make me like Cordelia for the first time, maybe. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, I'd say a 2.5 is fair for me. Frank, thank you very much for joining us this week. I really appreciate it. And why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your show on HHWLOD and what that's all about?
1: Yeah, so um, me and two other guys, we do a show called Half Hour Wasted um it does run longer than a half hour originally it was 30 minutes long but you know we had already bought the url and we're (laughs) going to change things so it's a half hour it's called a half hour wasted but we usually go on for like an hour and it's three geeks talking that's basically it we talk about all the pop culture stuff and we throw in some jokes and stuff every so often but um we try to have a good time and we want, you know, when you watch the show or when you listen to the show, we want to make you feel like you're there with us. So it's just three guys goofing. Perfect. How can we find you? Uh, at the dot com website. And, uh, we come out every Monday though. We have been on hiatus for a while. I think we're going to come back in a few weeks, but we got a lot of great back episodes you can listen to. And, um, you know we're all ages too, so you know bring in the kids, wake up grandma, y'all <laughs> can sit around the iPod, listen.
0: Well, thank you very much for joining us once again, Frank A. Rincón from. There you go
1: from uh, <laughs> Half Hour Wasted. Take care, guys. Thanks.
0: Weediverse podcast rating: two point seventy five out of five stakes. you Like what you hear, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at, at @WeedenCast. Like us on Facebook at facebookcom Weedonverse Podcast, or review, rate, and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. The Weedonverse Podcast is brought to you by the HHWLOD Network. You can find them at hHWLOD.com, on Twitter at hHWLOD underscore network or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash H-H-W-L-O-D. The Tangent Bound Network can be found at TangentBoundNetwork.com, on Twitter at TangentBoundPC, and on Facebook at Network. Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 1, Episode 12, Prophecy Girl. Written and directed by Joss Whedon. Original air date. June 2nd, 1997. Welcome back to the Weedenverse podcast. I'm the Clairvoyant, and today we're going to be reviewing uh, Prophecy Girl. That's right, and I'm Mr. Universe because you failed to introduce me. Yeah. Hey, have you been keeping up on the Miss Universe pageant? Uh, <laughs> no. I think Pauline Vega just won. Pauline... I think she's from, like, Brazil or something. I have, so... no, re- I have no response to that. <laughs> she's your new she's your new bay <laughs> but uh, this is the first episode of prophecy girl this is the first episode ever of all time forever where joss wrote and directed it that's not true both of them the pilot okay wow we're not counting that that's not canon i don't count it and he probably wrote and directed some roseanne's before this you're miss. You're construing it all wrong. So uh, the fun fact about this episode is this is actually number ten on Joss Whedon's favorite episodes. I'm not sure if that's his favorite episodes of all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer or just favorite episodes that he's written. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's legitimate. That's a bit narcissistic. Because he he was asked by some TV station and they aired like his ten but I'm not sure. I didn't look if he wrote and directed all of those 10 or if, you know, he picked his favorite from all of them and they just happened to be ones he wrote and directed. <laughs> so we start with our previously thing and we know we, it's going to be a good episode because there's a previously on because there's only one other episode. They had it and that was angel and that was a good episode. So yeah, we have our previously instead of instead of our speech and we start with uh, Xander. Confessing his love to Willow. Yeah. yeah, he asks her out at the bronze. And I was like, what? But then he's just practicing. Practicing lines to ask Buffy out. Yeah, he wants to ask Buffy to the spring fling. That's the god do it now. And Willow says, you can practice on me some more. That's the worst person to practice on. Worst. Yeah. He's so oblivious. Yeah, she. he doesn't know. It hurts. <laughs> so... Uh, meanwhile, Cordelia is in a car, making out with some guy. We'll call him, uh, Kevin, just because that's his name. <laughs> yeah, and I thought, like, to be honest, I thought this was Mitch. I guess he didn't last very long, but they're all just generic, you know, Cordy boyfriends. And we cut to a slow-mo ass-kicking of Buffy by a vampire. <laughs> yeah, well, I like how it was, like, kind of, like, like creeping up on the car. Like, what was that? And it was all, like... It, you know, their horror movie, uh, their their mandatory horror movie trope for an episode, right? But then we see, yeah, Buffy slay a vamp nearby. It's now, ridiculously badass, but it's so slow motion and just r- stupid. And then it quickly resolves in like two milliseconds. And she pulls like a stake, like from behind her. But I've just been wondering where. Where was that stake? <laughs> <It> was in <laughs> her like back belt loop, like where you'd keep a gun if you were like a old western gunslinger. But she doesn't have like a holster. Maybe she does. <laughs> she just like pulls it from like I don't know her waistline, <laughs> but she says three in one night. Jaws will be proud. So that's a vamp death count of three. I'm counting it. <laughs> okay, though it doesn't feel like. I mean, we we're used to seeing Buffy just always beating up vampires. So three in one night doesn't feel like a big deal to us. I guess to Buffy. They don't cut out the waiting out and not slaying vampires, so... I guess so. So uh, meanwhile, Giles is researching a prophetic book that Angel gave him. The Codex. The, uh, the Codex. This, I don't remember the full title anymore. But the Something Codex. <laughs> so that's his official title, the Something Codex. The Something Codex. He discovers that the Master is going to rise. Ooh again <laughs> yeah. and the slayer and then he exclaims my god yeah and then while he's reading all of a sudden an earthquake happens and his tea shatters and he's english so that sucks yeah there's just an earthquake uh, everyone all over Sunnydale is feeling it except Buffy possibly we don't see Buffy the whole library is shattering it's heartbreaking that must be awful to put it back together too <laughs> And then down below, the master is just loving this. He's freaking out. He's so happy. And then he's like, turns to Colin. He's like, "What do you think? Five point one? Which is a great one." Perfect example of how he can be such a stereotypical villain and then so different from one all in one moment, like with a millisecond gap. Yeah. <laughs> so the next money, next money, next morning, <laughs> Buffy. The next morning, <laughs> Buffy is meeting Giles in the library. Uh, which has been That's never happened before. <laughs> it's it's the, the library is in need of repair from the earthquake. yeah and Buffy's explaining to him that you know the vampires are you know they're rising, they're getting stronger, they're getting braver and more bold but Giles is just absolutely not paying attention. He's so distant and she claims that she even broke a nail and she's wearing a press on. Yeah, she's just whining, whining for attention. <laughs> but Giles is absolutely not not giving it to her, and she says, "Like now, I have to go meet my terrible fate." And Giles panics. Yeah. Like, what? She, she says biology, <laughs> but he also she's like the least you can do is go. Hmm. And he's like hmm, <laughs> and then she gets kind of upset at that, and she goes to biology because science class. <laughs> <laughs> and they have a lot of science classes in Sunnydale. Yeah. It's all, it's all they take, science. So after bio... Uh, Uber boring biology. Xander makes it known that he's, he's about to ask Buffy to the dance. So he kind of signals Willow to leave. Yeah. And she finds this awful excuse to go. I can't remember what it was. It was like, I have she to go to do a thing. thing. Yeah. The thing that I have to do. And then Buffy says, what on earth is her deal? And Xander replies, oh, she's Willow. Yeah. Wow. And he's just super <laughs> awkward about all this. It's very obvious what he wants to do. Yeah. And, uh, honestly, I thought he was going to pussy out. Or she was going to just completely, like, friend zone him, like always happens in TV. But no, Xander legitimately confesses his feelings to Buffy and asks her to the dance, which is like, go Xander. Like, yeah, like, they never do that in, well, they do in good TV. But so often in TV do they just avoid that topic and it's always just a running you know torch that's being carried and it never really goes away yeah you can't like x files it and just have this like going the whole series like you know you have to grow and change like characters (laughs) yeah have to grow and change so he spits it out and he asks her uh, and uh she tries to let him down politely (laughs) and she said i don't know what to say and he says well you're not laughing that's a good start but uh, she just doesn't feel the same. And it's a little bit heartbreaking because you know them both. You know both the characters so well. Yeah, and Xander just, he's hes out. hes He doesn't take rejection well. And yeah. he, he leaves. As a defense mechanism, he even says, a guy has to be undead to make time with you, huh? And then, But he even admits, you know, that's that was harsh. I don't react to rejection well. So at least he's, like, self-aware. And it's hard to know who to relate to in this scene because you just like the characters both so much that you don't like, Oh, I relate with Xander. Like I hate Buffy or yeah. I relate with Buffy. Like what's up with Xander. Like you relate with both of them. Yeah. I think the worst thing is probably the majority of the people listening to this have been on both sides of that coin. Right. So, you know, it's, it's really, both ways. It's really hard. <laughs> so. And that's a great yeah. spot to put that scene in the finale of the first season because kind of, it was building up to it all season and then they actually acted on it right at the end. Yeah. And so then uh, Miss Calendar is interrupting Giles' study in the library. Um, and she's significantly... Maybe it's because there's you know a pending apocalypse significantly nicer than she normally is. No, yeah, that like she was last time. She points out that she knows that Giles has been here all night because he's wearing the same sweater that he was the day before. Same <laughs> clothes, just where he's wearing... His clothes look just like last night's clothes, but wrinklier. Yeah, and I noticed he has a horseshoe over top of his door, so that's going to be a good luck thing, I assume. Yeah, you can't be too too careful when <laughs> you live right. in the hell no. And she mentions all these apocalyptic signs, uh, cat giving birth, birth to a litter of snakes, uh, lakes boiling, boy born with his eyes facing inward. All messed and, up. All yeah. things I don't want to think about. And she declares that the end is pretty seriously nigh. Yeah, and I noticed Giles on his cork board has Van Gogh's famous self-portrait pin there. I don't know why. It's, like, among all these, like, pictures of demons and newspaper clippings and stuff, and then just that. And I was like, okay, well, I, I guess I can see Giles being into that. <laughs> and so uh, Je- Jenny tells him that Brother Luca, who's a monk in Cortona, which we saw. It's her guy. That's her uh, That's her informant. <laughs> And that's probably why she knew about Moloch, because Cortona. Right. Isn't that where that whole thing took place? Probably. I I blocked that episode out already. It was so long ago. (laughs) Ouch. So she's... He's been sending out mass emails about the anointed one. (laughs) I love the idea of, like, a a street corner prophet screaming, the end is nigh, but, like, in the modern age, so he's just sending out mass emails. (laughs) That's... Why what weeds me out about Jenny's whole deal and her whole gang that she hangs out with, because it's like I don't know if the show's trying to make this a thing, where it's like we are the future, but it's just if even nowadays, which is much the future from Buffy Times, it feels weird. It still feels weird. I like her whole thing, like you know the whole techno pagan and this stuff because it it feels like a modern take on you know the classic occult thing, like, you know, witchcraft and prophets and stuff like that but this is all you know it's like a modernized version which seems to fit the show really well never caught on though Is cool (laughs) i i can't say that i i love it it just always every time it comes up it feels weird to me but it, it it fits yeah i i think it's really cool and giles asks her to get more information about the anointed one because to his recollection the anointed one's dead yeah adam baldwin died episodes ago (laughs) so he asks her to get some more information promising he will explain everything later yeah and uh meanwhile cordelia compliments willow's outfit so that's how you know the apocalypse is coming (laughs) yeah cordelia is talking with kevin who promises that he's going to set everything up in the bronze for the dance And and then cordelia sees willow and says willow i like your dress I still thought Kevin was Mitch. I still thought it, like I was, until she said Kevin. Like I was like, man, too many cordy boyfriends. <laughs> she says, Willow, I like your dress. Willow says, no, you don't. She says, no, I really don't, but I need your help. <laughs> and she asked Willow to also help, I can't remember what specifically, but just also help set up the dance. Set up AV equipment at the bronze. And uh, Willow is distracted by a gloomy Xander. Yeah, and goes to offer her sympathy. So Xander just kind of does this whole let's show them, you know, you and me go, we'll we'll have a great time. As he's doing kind of uh, all work and no play, throwing a ball at the wall, you know, in the classroom angrily. Yeah, The Shining, and this (laughs) Xander really likes The Shining. He said on a scale of one to ten, it sucked, (laughs) referring to him asking out Buffy. But yeah, he's he's. A bit jealous of Angel. He says, it could be worse. I could have gangrene on my face. <laughs> but he's just, yeah, he's a bit jealous of Angel, he reveals, and he yeah. He asks Willow to go out with him, to to show them. And she uh, she refuses. She doesn't want to be girl number two. And she has the great line, you think I want to go to the dance with you and wish you were at the dance with her? Yeah, I wrote, Joss, you're making me feel here. <laughs> and so now Zander's extra, extra bummed out. I noticed behind him there's a poster that says just say no. Which uh, both Willow and Buffy did, so that's kind of funny, and maybe a coincidence, maybe not. And but, so Xander declares he's going to go home, lie down, and listen to country music, the music of pain. Yeah, and he slams the ball against the wall one more time, which recurring thing with Xander. He doesn't get sad, he gets mad. He takes his frustrations out with violence. Not, you know, not you know, physical Domestic abuse. But not person on person. But you know, he he needs to tangibly smash something, it seems. Yeah, he's more a stress ball than sad movie. Yeah, than a bucket of ice cream. <laughs> so that Eve <laughs> Buffy is using the restroom at school and she turns on the faucet and it has some red Kool Aid coming out. Yeah, it's pouring of blood, and what I was wondering, I was like, I thought this was later. It felt later because it was dark. But why is she still at the school, and why is or did all the lights burn out in the bathroom? Because no, it feels like it's nighttime. It does, because she's got her jacket on and everything. But it's just, why is she there? <laughs> did she she was out patrolling? She's like, I have to go to the bathroom. School is nearby. <laughs> Maybe doing some late night. No, she she's not doing research with Giles. I don't know why she's there, honestly. But uh, she goes to the library, presumably to tell Giles that the faucet was spewing blood. And she sees Giles telling Angie, 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 Giles is talking to Angel and he declares pretty dramatically uh, that the prophecies all say that Buffy will face the master and she will die. Yeah. Angel doesn't want to buy it. They don't see Buffy there either. Yeah, Angel is uh, he's very you know there has to be some other way you mistranslate. He says no, this is the codex. Everything that is written in this happens, and you get this just sense of dread like oh you know yeah. I know this is season one but yeah and damn. <laughs> Giles has a really powerful line. Angel says well you're reading it wrong and Giles like I wish I were but it's very plain. Tomorrow night Buffy will face the Master and she will die and then just Buffy is just shell shocked when she hears it. Yeah, she's just then commercial break (laughs) yeah and then after the commercial break follows with what is probably it's definitely my favorite scene of season one hands down for sure and possibly like it's it's among my favorite scenes of the entire show it is i think i've heard people ranking it on some of the greatest buffy moments of all time yeah and buffy's just in shock she is laughing hysterically and then crying and she starts, yeah, she decides that she's quitting. She's gonna quit. and Giles says you can't and you know he's in the prophecies and stuff like that. She's throwing stuff at him. Read me the signs. tell me my fortune. And it's 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 such an emotionally powerful scene. Like she like those of you who are listening and not watching along, you know those fans who who have already seen the series and you're just using this podcast as a refresher, I urge you, go back and rewatch this scene, because it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, Giles uh, looks broken, this scene, and Buffy's just sad. This is a, just an amazing performance by Sarah Michelle Gellar. She's yeah. so passionate. And then it gets really sad when she just utters heartbreaking, iconic line, Giles, I'm 16 years old. I don't want to die. Yeah, and... Oh, the whole scene, like, I've wrote down almost every quote. Like, she says, like, I know the drill. One Slayer dies, they send someone else. Will you train her or will they send somebody else? And that, oh, she had actual tears. It was just so powerful. Yeah. She also says, did they say how he's going to kill me? Do you think it'll hurt? Which is the saddest line out of all of them. Yeah, that absolutely breaks my heart. Like, just you, you find out, oh, you're going to die. You're going to die tonight. And just, you know, all you have to say is, like, Do you think it'll hurt? I teared up so hard. And Angel tries to console her. She's freaking out. Don't touch me. Were you even going to tell me? And it's just, oh, God. It's so painful and just raw and just a great scene. She's like, you're so useful sitting here with all your books. You're really a lot of help. And Jaws admits, well, I don't suppose I am. And he just, nobody knows what to do. And it's just awful. Yeah, and she quits uh, being the vampire slayer. Throws the cross that Angel gave her on the ground and storms out. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, Willow's looking at a picture of her and Xander together, decides to call him. I thought it was kind of funny because he's actually doing what he said. Yeah, he's actually (laughs) listening to country music. He's listening to Patsy Cline, but it's kind of sad his reaction. He picks up the phone, immediately hangs up without even listening, and then takes the phone off the hook and throws it away, like throws it down the bed. Like he doesn't want to talk to anybody yeah but I I did yeah it was amusing that he actually listening to country music I like when they do stuff like that you know where they it feels like a throwaway joke and then it's not like Buffy in iRobot Eugene talking about you know you, what should I just you know follow him with dark sunglasses and a trench coat no and then she does <laughs> and this one's more mixed feelings because that one was intended to be funny and this one is funny that he went through with it but sad that he went through with it you know <laughs> yeah uh, so Buffy goes back home. She's looking through scrapbooks. To Jonathan Brooks, which uh, you may know, she later did the theme for Dollhouse, but that's the music playing in the background. And uh, Buffy's mom comes in. You know, She's asking if she's all right. You're probably full from that bite of dinner you had. <laughs> yeah. And just as a mom, like she's got the mom instinct. She just knows that Buffy's not okay. Doesn't know the right reason, but she knows that she's not okay. Yeah, and so, you know, Buffy says she's not going to the dance. Joyce deduces that someone asked her, but not the right someone. Yeah. And, but still, she gives her a white evening gown and tells her, go to the dance. And, and they, they can't afford that dress, but, well, they can, but they can Buffy thinks they can't. Joyce says, with how much you're eating, we can afford it. And so we can surmise that it's a nice dress. that she got Buffy just to be incentive, I assume, partially to be like, you're doing so good at this school, let's let's give you a little gift and she uh, you know she tells the story of her going to her prom and that's where she actually met her dad buffy's dad and you know this scene you know, no one can watch the scene and say i hate her like at that moment she is such a great mom yeah and lots of fans i've noticed like it's a big thing where people don't like her but this in this moment lover or hater i feel like she just feels like family you know and lover or hater in this moment you're like wow This is just family. You know, that's the feeling I got. Yeah. I really, like, I've always been Camp Joyce. I've never... There are moments where you have problems with her. But she's very well written as a mom character. Like, you know, she's... She's a good character. She very well could have been a main cast member, because she appears (laughs) in most of the series. But, you know, she's... An interesting character. She has arcs. She has everything. I like Joyce. So, yeah, we learn uh, of Buffy's parents meeting on a night like tonight. And then later at school, Kevin didn't bring the stuff. And Cordy's not happy, but she's not mad. I think she has a, a crush. He didn't even show up, did he? Or they. No. Well, they mm-hmm. don't know. But she just. It's What's weird is, yeah, Cordelia seems to have a crush. It's, you know spur-of-the-moment writing, I think. Like, it wasn't a big, like, it was just kind of a throwaway thing where she's like, I'm not even mad at him. I think it's cute, so. Yeah, God help me. And so then they're walking to the A.V. Club, and holy f***ing Christ, they're watching Looney Tunes. Like, wow. They have been absolutely slaughtered. It's the most messed up thing on the series. That's a human death count of five. It's a massacre. And the angle they're sitting, you think, wow, they're just watching TV. But they're all dead, including Kevin. Just a massacre. Just all oh, who's and there's like bloody handprint on the TV and a tiny one. So I was this Colin. I don't know because but, it's on a kids cartoon and there's a tiny, tiny bloody handprint on the screen. So I'm like, wow, is that Colin? That's messed up. Oh, that was so dark. That was messed up. So uh, Buffy, her mom says, there's something on the news, Willow, which, I don't know, that doesn't explain much. Maybe Willow was talking on the news about the massacre. I'm assuming. And so Buffy shows up at Willow's in her evening gown. And this is, like, Sarah had a great moment earlier in this episode, you know, her quitting. Yeah. This is Allie's moment to shine. This is a, a strong performance from her. You know, and Buffy says, You know, I'm just glad you're okay. And she says, I'm not okay. I knew those guys. I go to that room every day and she's crying and it's She said, Yeah, when I walked in it wasn't our world anymore. They made it theirs and they had fun and they're just crying. They nailed it with this cast. They <laughs> they just nailed it hiring these people. It's like wow. Yeah. And she kinda expresses her fear that yeah, this is vampires are taking over they are getting much bolder than we thought and yeah buffy makes a little promise that she'll stay in tonight and she says well i'm gonna do what i have to do and as she's leaving will remarks buffy i like your dress and, aw, which it is a nice dress yeah and so then we're at master and the anointed one soon soon not much interesting happens there. yeah, yeah it's like a two second scene <laughs> yeah um so we're back at the library Giles has explained, uh, or he's in the process of explaining, that Buffy is the Slayer to Miss Calendar. She says she's so little. <laughs> yeah, she's she understands all the lore about the Master and everything that he told her, but he's like, the part that I don't get is how Buffy's a Slayer. She's so little. <laughs> and her source thinks that the Anointed One is a child, just based on some biblical passages. So Giles... Uh, decides he's going to kill the master, to which Buffy shows up and says, "No, you're not." And they have this great back and forth. Yeah. No, you're not. I've made up my mind. I've made up my mind first, and I'm older and wiser. And do what you're told for once, all right? And that's so Joss. You can just tell his writing. <laughs> but Buffy can't convince Giles, so she does the reasonable thing and lights him up. She knocks him out. <laughs> <laughs> We really should be keeping track of how many times Giles gets knocked out. It's beyond numbers. <laughs> but uh, she puts her necklace back on, so she's back in the game. Yeah, that I feels wish. like that's her like uh, reinstating herself. Like she's like, it's like putting on your mouth guard and your boxing gloves. <laughs> and Buffy says to Jenny, "When he wakes up, tell him I don't know. Think of something cool. Tell him I said it."
2: yeah
0: and then jenny says well you'll die and buffy says maybe but maybe i'll take him with me and joss is such a a good writer because there's there's so many great lines in this episode and it's so early in his career but even though there's such a marked difference between the episodes he wrote and the other episodes like if if you didn't know that this was joss and watch this episode you'd be you'd notice that wow this episode is a step up from the other episodes absolutely And uh, so outside of the school, little boy, Colin, is uh, crying for help. In a field. Children of the corn. And Buffy just immediately says, hey, knock it off. I know who you are. Let's just go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And in the library later, Jowls is up with an ice pack. He tells the gang about the prophecy. tells them to stay calm. (laughs) Alexander's line, stay calm. Calm may work for Locutus of Borg here, but... Yeah, which is a Star Trek reference. Yeah, that's when uh, Patrick Stewart, what's his name, Jean-Luc Picard, gets all Borgy. Spoilers <laughs> First, for a show we don't talk about here. Yeah, we <laughs> we're a spoiler-free podcast, but we're we spoil Private Practice, we spoil uh, Star Trek, we spoil everything that we don't cover because you know so Green is people. But uh, Xander, yeah, he wants to help Buffy. He wants to find out where she went, which, this is always his response, and it's never a good one. But uh, Buffy is taking her crossbow to the sewers, so you know she's going to fight the Big Bams, because that's, like, her favorite killing weapon. Yeah. She likes the crossbow, and she's being led through the sewers by Colin. Now, remember, because I was watching one of our old episodes recently, because I felt like laughing at my own jokes, and... In the first or second episode, there's a vampire named Colin, and we were just making fun of how that's not a cool name for the for a vampire. We're not even twelve. We're on the twelfth episode, and there's two vampires named Colin. That's just a cool it's name. A cool vamp name. Yeah, <laughs> this one's got two L's. It's different. <laughs> it's a different name. You write it in the script. People don't even notice when they read it. So Xander leaves. And he uh, shows up at Angel's apartment where he forces Angel to take him to the master's lair. Angel's so different around Xander than he is around Buffy. Because Buffy, yeah. he's just perfect gentleman. But to Xander, he's like, he'll kill you before you even breathe. And I'm like, whoa. He's not as flirty. <laughs> well, one can debate. <laughs> he's got different styles for different people. But Xander holds a cross to Angel and says, I don't like you. Which is also really cool. Obvious, but it's out there in the open. He threw it out there. And so then back at the library, they're looking through textbooks. Actually I, I wanna go the, back I just wanna go back a little bit. There's a great line where Angel says, You're in love with her. And Xander says, Aren't you? Oh. I loved it. Yeah. And so yeah, they're looking through uh through textbooks at the library. Uh Jenny just feels like part of the gang at this point. I like her. Yeah. And she asks the question that nobody's thought to ask yet. If the hellmouth's going to open, where's the hellmouth? Yeah. And so Giles starts to look it up. Meanwhile, Colin's showing Buffy the way to the sewers and then pieces. I don't know where he goes, to be honest. He just yeah. walks away. He's just like, bye. <laughs> so the master says, welcome. Buffy says, thanks for having me. And yeah, he. so I feel like... Colin fulfilled his end of things, so maybe he went to grab an ice cream. But the master really didn't scrimp on his uh his candle budget. You know, maybe he likes <laughs> candles. Probably has a barbecue torch down there. And he's gotta have at least one vampire. Like Colin's too short. He's probably got one vampire that just goes around. Maybe that guy that didn't have a vamp face early on in like episode two. He just goes around <laughs> he's not a vampire, he just he's the janitor and he lights all the candles. <laughs> <laughs> maybe so Buffy shoots a crossbow bolt of the master who catches it if I remember correctly yeah it's a nice shot though but and he even remarks nice shot but he catches it and he looks so ominous and creepy just the way they lit him in this scene and when he does that you're like wow the master is so much cooler than he ever has been before yeah um feels like this is how he was supposed to be written what? I think he was always written this way. He just had nobody to say these lines to. <laughs> so Xander and Angel tripes in through the sewer. They <laughs> have some stupid banter. Like, Did you look at my neck? No, I didn't look at you. You totally looked at my neck. Like, I was <laughs> looking at your neck. It yeah. so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so the Master and Buffy verbally spar a little bit and then she's loading her crossbow and he just disappears. He's he a just... teleporter or something. He's fast. I just imagine him running when she's not looking. <laughs> she's not looking. up. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Giles, Jenny, and Willow realize that the master is probably going to rise at the prom. Yeah. Which is, I guess, it's not the prom. It's the what the is bronze it? at the pr- the prom at the spring the spring at spring the bronze. Fling. There we go. <laughs> so Willow and Jenny leave. Uh, the master is still hiding, saying he wants this moment to last. Buffy doesn't. And he shows up behind her and says, I understand, and just grabs her by the throat. Yeah, right by the neck, which, like, that's, that's where vampires like to drink from. Why are you, that's like you have a ham on a plate, you're about to eat it, and right before you stick the fork and you put your hand on it, you're like, I don't, (laughs) like, I don't know where I was going with that, but that's just, why would you cover up your food before you eat it? It doesn't make any sense. They could get the blood from anywhere. That's a weird thought. I guess so. Like, bites a finger. Like, there's not many veins in the finger. That's why the next, the best spot. But, like, what about, like, the crook of your elbow? I guess, I guess you could. (laughs) But it's so hard to find the vein. Have you ever got a needle there? He just keeps biting. He's like, I'm sorry. I, I missed it. I'm sorry. Why don't they go for, like, the jugular? Is that too high pressure? Is it like a... Trying to, like, drink from the hose, but it's a pressure washer? Like well, it's just awkward angles. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, on the way to the bronze, Little and Jenny see a whole bunch of vampires coming for the school instead. Which... Mm-hmm. Ble- Legions of vampires. Legions. Meanwhile, downstairs, <laughs> Buffy <laughs> breaks free of the master. He uses some sort of power that I didn't know he had to f- freeze her? Maybe? I don't know exactly what happened. Maybe she just, like didn't know what he was doing and got confused, and so she just stood there. See, <laughs> is he supposed, supposed to be doing something? <laughs> he says, "You tried. It was noble of you. You hear the prof. You heard the prophecy and came to stop me, but prophecies are tricky creatures. They don't tell you anything. And then the kicker, you're the one who sets me free. If you hadn't come, I couldn't go. And that's such a just a kick in the groin. You're like, man, damn it." Damn it. Damn it everybody. You yeah. all encouraged this to happen. <laughs> so he drinks from her. He bites her and drops her in a pool of water. Uh, yeah, face first. So that's a human death count of 6. That is. And he's got But then another death count. She's a slayer. That's I she's a human. <laughs> Come on. But he's got slayer blood strength now. And he says, "Oh, by the way, I like your dress." Which I want to talk about that. (laughs) So it won't be a secret by the time this episode airs that we had a special interview with Mark Mark Metcalf, who uh, plays the master. And I don't know if it'll make it in the interview itself, but I did ask for a friend uh, for him to repeat this line, because it's an iconic line that my friend absolutely loves. And this interview was done before I watched this episode. I had seen it recently recently, ish you know a few years back but i asked him to say the line by the way nice dress and he corrected me are you sure it's not by the way i like your dress he filmed this 20 years prior <laughs> <laughs> and he got it right and i got it wrong it and it spoiler it's done being edited it did not make it in but uh, by the way i like your dress when mark says it does make it in okay well this is our explanation here yep so uh and the master uses his slayer blood strength to get free of his invisible force field that's been uh holding him back all season yeah so xander and angel find a buffy's dead body which is dark it's messed up but even in a crisis angel dresses fashionably (laughs) he's got like a blazer with a white shirt underneath like a button down and Xander's wearing whatever I don't even look at him but Angel is dressed so nice. he's like man the apocalypse is coming I gotta look good that's how I feel that's what I would do so find the body they deduce that since she drowned they can probably revive her with CPR except Angel can't So vampires don't breathe Which okay, let's discuss this. Let's discuss. Vampires can breathe because vampires later in the show smoke, so vampires can breathe when they choose to. So was Angel just like, no, I don't feel like it today. I think he was just like panicking. I don't know. Maybe he was panicking, or maybe like he's like he's all about the passionate kissing, and this you know CPR is so. He's like, I never learned CPR. That's what he means to say. I don't. You know, that came around seventy years ago or so. I, I missed that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I think he's. I literally have no idea what to do. But I think it's so important for the show that Xander is the one that's able to save Buffy, not Angel, not the one that she has feelings for, but Xander, the one that has feelings for her. I think that's so just important for the character that he gets to put his lips on hers. Well, no, saving her life—not the lip part, but yeah. So that's super intense, though, to me. That the Slayer is dead. Wow, wow. Season one, and they they raised they raised the stakes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I mean, this is the first big bad that Buffy fights. He right. killed her. So, like, (laughs) this is number one. It's all downhill from here. (laughs) So, um... So, Cordy, meanwhile, Jenny and Will are getting traipsed by vampires. That's not the right word. And Cordy, Deus Ex Cordy, saves the day in her car. And I guess she got her license after all. Yeah. After going blind. Yeah. So she must have tried again. But I like how they assembled... All their allies in this episode—it really feels like a group effort. Because they've got yeah. Jenny, they've got Angel, and they've got Cordelia, all who are sometimes allies, They're all coming of in to help. Fringe, fringe members of the game. Right, but downstairs it worked. Buffy's back to life. At the CPR works. She chokes up some water and she's good. And Xander says, "Welcome back." Well, I'm keeping that death count though. She still died. <laughs> I'm keeping it. I'm not yeah. reversing it. <laughs> and. You know, without going too much into detail, her death clearly has an impact on the series. So she it's a death. It was still a death, whether she's currently alive or not. Right. It was like a dead for two minutes kind of death. Like, a, your heart stopped beating, but you didn't... Like, you technically died medically, but it's not, you know, by much. But it does, you know, it it counts. So uh, Cordy drives them back to the library by driving through the school. <laughs> wow. And what an epic finale for, you know, I think they were saving their budget for the rest of the season so they could do a car just smashing through their set. <laughs> yeah. So Cordelia, Willow, Giles, and Jenny are fighting off just hordes and hordes of vampires trying to enter the library as the library starts like, crumbling and a tentacled monster thing <laughs> smashes through the floor. Yeah, and they're moving bookshelves. They're moving things older than me in front of the doors, just trying to block it. But then they're not safe because the floor's got some baddies coming out too. And fun fact, all these tentacles were manned by people. They didn't have a CGI budget, so they, they had people holding the tentacles. And then later, when there's bigger tentacles, there are people in those tentacle suits wiggling around. It's hilarious. It's so funny. Imagine where they stunt people or was it like the makeup girl? And she's like, damn it. Like, <laughs> we're sorry. We just need you. We can't afford to hire a tentacle today. One thing I thought was great is, you know, this car smashes through the school. and I thought, wow. And there being, you know, hordes and hordes of people in Vamp Face, Vamp Face. And I'm thinking, wow, floor is crumbling. Like, you guys, like, did you get like a budget raise? And then the tentacle wiggles its way over the floor I'm like, oh, you used it all, didn't you? <laughs> but the master's free now, and he loves it. He makes a, it's what a wonderful world, Louis Armstrong reference. Yeah, so he's yeah, he's up chilling on the roof. Yeah, if, you're good, well, if you go from the lowest point, and you're like, I'm sick of just smelling dirt, I'm going to go to the highest point that I can find. I guess it'd yeah, feel fresh up there. So Buffy tells Xander and Angel down below. It doesn't even matter. They can't breathe. <laughs> she uh, says that she's, you know, they say you're weak. And she says, no, I feel strong. I feel different. And she's about to go kill the master. Yeah, Vam start climbing in through windows of the library. Meanwhile, Giles' office, they're getting in there. Yeah, everyone's splitting up, covering different entryways because they're just being flanked from all directions. Cordelia gets grabbed through a window. She's screaming for help. And we cut to a a badass power walk, just Reservoir Dogs walk, style to the theme song. I just loved it. Yeah, it's just, it's near the nerf herder theme of the show. Just walking. Oh, look, a bad guy. Boom, just takes out a vamp, keeps walking. (laughs) Doesn't kill him, she just punches him. She doesn't even care. And this should happen at least once a season, where they just do a badass power walk to the theme song. (laughs) This is Yeah, I'm going to say this is the second time, but the first time was in the pack and not to the theme song. (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, so, Angel vamps it out And they're all ready to go They're all gonna fight Puts on his game face Yeah And so Buffy goes up to the roof And then they realize uh, There's a thing beneath them Which is actually appears to be Audrey II from Little Shop of Horrors <laughs> <laughs> Feed me, Seymour Cordelia bites a vampire And I like, see how you like it And I laughed I was like, wow Such a Cordelia thing to do <laughs> And, like, she's. She so readily accepted vampirism as a thing. Yeah, she doesn't. She's just. (laughs) She doesn't care at all. But, yeah, the Masters on the Roof loving this, calling the tentacle thing his child, and (laughs) looking down through the skylight, which I never knew the library had a skylight. I guess they never really look up much. But. (laughs) Master sees Buffy and says, you're dead. And she says, I may be dead, but I'm still pretty, which is more than I can say for you. Yeah. And I saw uh, my my quip about CPR being 70 years old or something. That's, I think, why he's surprised. Because he was underground when CPR kind of became a widespread thing. So he didn't even know that, like, that's cutting edge. You can bring people back from the dead. <laughs> like <laughs> So he he had no clue. I love the idea of a vampire being surprised that you can bring people back from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's ironic. And then he says, but you were destined to die. It was written in Buffy. Great quip. What can I say? I flunked the written. <laughs> Greatest quips in this scene. Like when she's feeling strong and powerful, going up, they probably save the best quips for the, the big bad. And so then we're doing a lot of back and forth, you know, library, Buffy and the Master, Xander and Angel and the tentacles have Willow down below, so Giles has to Jumanji hack up the, the stock. And uh, Buffy has the stupidest line, but it's great. She is like... <laughs> to the master, she says... She looks at him and says, You have Fruit Punch Mouth. And Well, the better part is he uses his power to freeze her again and grabs her by the neck again because that's his trademark thing. And he says, Do you think you could best me here when you couldn't below?" And that's her response. She looks him right in the face and she's like, you a fruit punch mouth. he just, <laughs> what? <laughs> then she just, oh, well, she punches down. him in the face. And the hypnosis isn't working anymore. And maybe it doesn't work on dead people. Or maybe my theory of it never working in the first place is correct. Yeah, and then down below, <laughs> while this is happening, there's more fighting in the library. More fighting with Angel and Xander. They, they do kill one vampire. I can only assume more die. But they do kill one that we see. So that's a vamp death count of four. And... Yeah, they're fighting up above. Buffy flips over the master th- for the third time. Throat grab count three. He grabs her by the throat. It's like, man, is that just your thing? Like, I wonder if when Marco's reading the script, he's like, do I really grab her by the throat again? <laughs> That's a lot of times. <laughs> but uh, Buffy says, you're that amped about hell? Go there. And she flips him over her shoulder through the skylight. Onto some broken furniture that she spotted earlier. And that's a vamp death count of five. He starts dusting in slow-mo. He's got bones. So let's yeah, discuss that. I think it's because he's so old and powerful. That's that's what I'm going with. But that's so backwards. Like, do vampires <laughs> grow bones as they get older? <laughs> yeah, see, like, the thing is, if you go with lore from, like, Salem's Lot, like, if you were to stake a fresh vampire, they would still bleed. The older they get, you know, they just rapidly age once you stake them. So if you were to stake a very old vampire, they would turn to dust. Right. So, yeah, I'm not sure quite why he turns to dust except for his bones, because that would kind of be a vampire that's been dead for a few years as far as Salem's Lot is concerned. Yeah, he's must got Maybe they had this really cool vampire skeleton prop. It just <laughs> looks like a skeleton. Yeah, but it's got fangs. So maybe maybe the one from the science lab, they dress it up with fangs, and they're like, cool, that's cool, let's use it. <laughs> but, you know, it, it does play its part. And, yeah, I think the idea behind it is that he's an old vampire, and he's super powerful, so he doesn't just go entirely. Doesn't quite make sense. But, yeah, the tentacle beast leaves after his daddy is dead, and we get a slow piano version of the theme song. Yeah, which is great. It's, it's awesome. But the master's dead, the helmets closed, and Buffy, I noticed, felt a bit distant now that it's all done. Yeah. But uh, Giles, great line. He doesn't seem too shocked that she's alive, and he says, I should have known death wouldn't stop you. Yeah, I think the first they tell Willow, I think, is Buffy died. And he says, I should have known death wouldn't have stopped you. Mm. In the world, kind of, everything's back to normal. Yeah, Jenny says, what should we do now? And Giles says, I say we leave. I don't like the library very much anymore. <laughs> so they decide to go to the bronze and dance. Yeah, Buffy says, we save the world. I say we party. I mean, I got all pretty. So uh, Cordy's practically a group member now, reluctantly. One thing that made me laugh, Buffy calls the master's corpse a loser. Just as she's walking away, she's like, loser. <laughs> yeah, it's skeleton still there. But I noticed, like, the master you know he said i like your dress uh, angel says i like your dress she has like enough or something like that so i think this maybe that's why mark remembered the line because it said by willow the master and angel it's recurring through the episode he that said, she has she does have a nice dress yeah he says by the way i really like your dress and she says yeah yeah it's a big hair with everyone and that was actually improvised by sarah michelle geller because everyone kept saying it throughout the episode <laughs> but uh, one thing they, when they're walking to the bronze, when they decide to leave Jao says I'm not dancing though and Jenny says we'll see <laughs> <Made me> laugh. <laughs> and that's the season end what a fantastic yeah. episode yeah it was the highlight it was a great way to end the season of like a, a season with you know it's a, a shaky season with it's highs and lows trying to find it's feet Trying to find its voice, you know, as to <laughs> if it's gonna be a campy horror comedy in the vein of Evil Dead 2, or if it's gonna be more serious, drama-y. Yeah. And I that's exactly what I put. I put a great cap to a shaky season, and it's it's just up from here. It's just quality goes up. And I really like the group dynamic in this episode and that the whole gang is together at the end. But uh, we have a final death count. Uh, human Death 6, Vamp Death 5, and compared to the last two episodes, who had zero deaths, that's quite a bit. Yeah. And so, loose end, loose end here. What's Colin up to? Is he still sitting in Ben and Jerry's somewhere? Like... <laughs> Does he know the Master's dead? I feel like you would feel it. And also, his voice isn't all weird again. It was just that one episode. Yeah, they tried something out. But even as Mark pointed out, they play with the Masters' makeup a lot too throughout the season. Right. And like the fruit punch mouth that he has, that's only like this episode. <laughs> it's only the last couple. Yeah, definitely since we've mentioned it, go check out episode that also released today, Interview with Mark Metcalf, our special bonus episode. It is a little bit spoilery, but it's definitely worth it. There's also a transcription up on the website, hhwlod.com. It's great. So ratings. We gotta give our ratings on this episode. And Clairvoyant, what did you think of this masterpiece? And, and in, I mean in a serious way, not even a sarcastic masterpiece. Well, I've never actually, it feels weird because I've never done this before, but I think this episode gets .5 stakes.
2: <laughs> <No>.
0: Ouch. <laughs> no. But uh, seriously, I haven't given an episode a rating this high. Uh, it's not a perfect five, but four and a half is a really good episode because I'm harsh. <laughs> okay, so, wait, wait, wait. I, Robot, you, I liked that episode. You're it, really harsh. I liked that episode. But I... Yeah, I gotta say, I was gonna give it a 4.5, and the more I thought about it, the more I couldn't justify why it doesn't deserve a 5. Like, what brings it down a 0.5? I couldn't think of a reason. Tentacles. And, yeah, but none of it really took me out of it. So I decided to give it a 5 out of 5 stakes, because... As you had practiced in I Robot, Eugene, stake ratings don't necessarily mean a perfect episode. doesn't necessarily mean how technically good the episode was. It's a mix between, you know, how technically good, how good was the writing, the special effects, the acting, the pacing, the directing, everything. And a mixed with how much did I enjoy it? how What did it make me feel? And this is the first time I really felt strong emotions in this show. And it was a really good episode. So I'm going to have to give it a 5 out of 5 stakes. Perfect score for me. Whedonverse podcast rating, 4.75 out of 5 stakes. Join us next episode where we'll discuss a recap of Season 1 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and review the 1992 film Buffy the Vampire Slayer with special guests Ron Martin and Little Miss Horror Nerd Jessica Feeney from the Resurrection of Zombie 7 podcast. Wait until next week. In the meantime, check out Dirty Angels, Pretty Freaks on the Tangibound Network. All programs, productions, characters, music, and stories discussed in this non-profit podcast belong to Joss Whedon and or their respective networks. All music, clips, and discussion used is either original, royalty-free, or released under Creative Commons designation BY CCBYNCSA. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Thanks for listening.
2: Grr, arg.